stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart, and you're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. I grew up in a radio family. Not a family that works in radio, but a family that always had the radio on in the house. It was always there to keep us company and to fill the silence. Most of the time, it was just background noise. But when a narrative-style program came on, my ears would perk up and I would always listen very closely. There's something so intimate about someone else's voice in your ear, telling you a story. For me, it's always carried this kind of magical feeling. I knew I wanted to be a part of it. And that's how I first came to All the Best, many years ago. I started working on the show as a baby contributing producer and made some truly terrible stories, which I put down to being a cringe 19-year-old. This show has been a huge part of my life for a really long time, and it will always hold a really special place in my heart. But all good things must come to an end. And it's time for me to wrap up and make way for the next generation of audio storytellers to come through. But before I say goodbye for my final episode as host, this week I'm sharing some of my favourite stories with you. All the Best allows emerging audio storytellers to learn and to make mistakes, but also creates a unique space for experimentation. The kind of experimentation that often isn't valued elsewhere. One producer who has made several experimental stories for the show is Seppa Jamshidi Fard. I love all of Seppa's work, but the story I'm about to play for you is my favourite, and it's also the first one we worked on together. This story is about Seppa's friend Human and his quest to be recognised by the Guinness World Records. Human says he isn't nervous, but the way he's frantically looking for more pens says otherwise. The chocolate experts are going to arrive in a couple of minutes. Between the two of them, they'll need two, maybe three pens at most. Human brings out a cup with a dozen pens and pours it right onto the table, beside the paperwork and the sushi Human has laid out for the experts in case they're hungry. Uh, three, uh, four cars, count, 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 count. I'm Human. Uh, I've been in Australia for around 10 years now, and uh, I migrated here from Iran. Came over here to do my uh, PhD at the University of New South Wales. 
I'm a mechanical engineer by profession and studies, and um, I'm an auditor for medical device companies. So I go and audit uh, manufacturers of medical devices in Australia and um, Asia sometimes. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, all about me, uh, and I live in Sydney. Human's being modest here. There's more to him than his occupation. Not to imply that auditing for medical device companies isn't interesting or anything. But the most interesting thing about Human would have to be his collections. Human's house is what you'd get if a clown car swerved into a museum. Fun, wacky, educational, yet with an implied rule that you must not touch the T-Rex fossil. The attraction is twofold. Firstly, there's the numerous collection of things he has. Records, guitars, whiskey bottles, miniature musical instruments. Then there's how well he's managed to fit it all in a small central Sydney apartment. Displayed on a two-meter-tall, ten-shelf glass cabinet filled with multicolor LED lights is the crown jewel. Human's massive collection of Kinder Surprise toys. In fact... It's the biggest collection in the world. Every time you give a Kinder surprise, you give a double pleasure. First, there's the special Kinder chocolate with its milky white lining. And then the surprise. You know how you know some, if someone is a collector of Kinder surprises or they're just a fan? How? You know, when you get a Kinder surprise, um, you got two options. You either eat the chocolate and then open the toys and see what you got. Mm-hmm. Or you open the toy, assemble it, then you eat your chocolate. Mm, so which one do you So I'm the one who opened the chocolate mm-hmm. and then assembles the toys, then eats the chocolate. That's how you know someone, if someone is a collector or they're a fan. There's so much pleasure in the new Kinder Surprise eggs and so many new surprises. Let's talk a little bit more about the Guinness World Record, actually. When, when were you like, okay... I wonder if anyone has a collection this big. Yeah, uh, I think uh, it was a few months ago that I was um, thinking, uh, actually a year ago, I was thinking, what if I apply for this uh, Guinness World Record and get some recognition for this huge collection that I spent a lot of time on it? And without even checking the web, I thought, nah, you know what, forget about it. It's probably cost me five, well, four or 5000 to just get someone to come over and, you know, have a look at the collection so I can get the recognition for it. So I uh, I dropped the topic and then um, probably six months back during the COVID lockdown, I, I ran out of things to do. And I said, actually, let's, let's see how much it costs. So I checked online and apparently it costs you $0 to uh, put an application in, get it assessed, and then even get a certificate for it. Mind you, you never get paid for setting a record either. It's purely the satisfaction of knowing that you're the world's fastest watermelon with head crusher or the world's longest handshaker that motivates many applicants. Hello. This Hi. is Sefer from Hi, how's it going? Radio. Hi, nice to meet you. How are you. The experts have finally arrived to count and verify Human's Kinder Surprise collection. Both are from a leading global chocolate manufacturer. After Human himself, they're probably the closest thing to a Kinder Surprise expert as you can get. 
Thank you very much for coming, by the way. Really appreciate it. I gave like 10% chance that you guys agreed to come. And then boom, happened. So the collection is upstairs. Yeah. Do you want to lead the way? Please. You don't need to take one. Wow. That is wonderful. Goodness. Can I take a picture? Oh yeah, as many as you need. Oh, uh, awesome. Sepe, uh, yeah. are we recording that one? Yes. So this is, uh, this is this uh, is. The experts are amazed. Culminated before them is the result of many years of their daily grind, all fitted compactly within a glass display case. Before we get started with counting, yeah. what, how did you how did you start this? The first one that I got, one of the frog sets. So that one, it's a frog with a red poofball hat and that is throwing a snowball. So we were somewhere in north of Iran, I think. We just had a huge kebab and my mom and dad wanted to get some chewing gum or, or something from a supermarket next door. So we went there and all my cousins, they jumped uh out of the skin to get uh, kinder surprises. Dad, I want kinder surprises. And um, and I said, well, what is this thing? And they said, oh, chocolate with a toy. I was like, bingo, that's a two for one deal. So let's get it. I, I got one and that was this one. And um, it's, it's pretty interesting because I used to either break all my toys or lose them. But this one I kept close to heart for 30 something years now. But they're just as equally impressed by Human's diligence. I'll tell you the agenda. I put an agenda for us so we can do it very efficiently. Across the room, Human has laid out three cameras filming from three different angles, two counters, one digital and the other a physical clicker in case the iPad runs out of battery, the paperwork freshly printed out and placed in a separate neat stack for every individual to sign, and sushi, several varieties. So as part of this process, I will have this GoPro camera in my uh, on my uh, in my one of hand uh, one of my hands. I will have a pencil in my other hand, and I will point to the item, mm-hmm. and um, we can I say count or you can say counts. And there is a counter. So this is counter one. It's a hand counter, mm-hmm. and it will click. And here is the tablet that is being counted. So, uh, yeah. I'll start clicking. So I start from the bottom. In my entire kitchen, I own two plates. And even then, I fantasize about throwing one of them out. For me, the thought of owning more than five of anything is horrifying. So I want to know why Human collects these toys in the first place. I think it's the sense of challenge that there's still something out there that I don't have when I know there is one of those toys that someone else has (laughs) and I already may have like 12 of those but that uh, 13th one is the one that I don't have and that really really makes me want to have that that 13th one I think Um, it puts everything I do in perspective for example we, we all come from different pathways of life right so we do things in our way because of our past not present not future right and i think it puts everything in uh, in perspective for example you're asking me about collecting and all of these things and i'm discovering all these new things about myself just thinking about this Hmm. and that collecting is kind of in the past and made me the person that i am today i think uh, it's good to keep memories because you kind of it helps you understand why you are who you are today
Kinder. Your Bolsheki. Me on Scrabbly. Chocka-dooby! Dumbly chocka-dooby! Pop swabble! <laughs> Toy! Yeah, okay, so we don't count this one instead of the duplicate. Yeah. Okay, very good. Thank you, everyone. I think uh, we did it. <laughs> 15, yeah. oh, 1560, Mitchell's got. 1560 on this camera. Nice play number. Mm -hmm. yeah. 1558. 1558 on the other counter. So we assume that the lower number is correct. So the number is 1558. Thanks very much uh, to our witnesses. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we now um, are going to uh, just sign the forms. So the counting process is finished. We ultimately settle for the lesser but still ridiculous number of 1,558 as the official count. You may wonder why we don't sound more enthusiastic after having potentially set a world record. Well, after two hours of this... Count, uh, count, count, uh, count, count. We had barely any energy. My right thumb grew abs after having pressed the clicker for that long. So for how long do you think you're going to continue this um, collection? Like, do you imagine yourself when you're like 80, you know, and, and you have your whole house filled yeah, yeah. with kinder surprises? I think I continue until my partner tells me, you know what, it's either me or them. I think that's as far as I can go, really, yeah. and then I have to stop buying them at some stage. So, what's next? The less glamorous side of a Guinness World Record. Lots of paperwork, collecting evidence, Excel spreadsheets, emails, and lots of waiting. That story was produced by Sefa Jamshidi Fard with supervising production from me. And I am thrilled to let you know that since we first aired this story a couple years ago, Human did it. He won the Guinness World Record for the largest Kinder Surprise toy collection. All the Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. You're listening to All The Best on FBI 94.5. I'm Danny Stewart, and this week I'm saying goodbye. But before I wrap up, I'm sharing some of my favorite All The Best stories. There's been a lot of love stories featured on the show over the years, but this next story stands out in my mind for how extraordinary it is. Like any good love story, it features an epic twist of fate. Peter and Sonny are a very cute couple. Even though they've been together for more than 20 years, they still sound like two teenagers in love. Well, my name's Sonny Jacobs. I'm sitting here with my beloved Peter Pringle. And um, Peter is 
a big, tall, handsome man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's very handsome, and he's very kind, and he's very good to me, and、um, he's very opinionated. <laughs> they meditate together. They sing to each other. They even work together. So what am I? Tell him. Good. Okay. My name is Peter Pringle, and sitting with me is my beautiful, loving wife, Sunny Jacobs. Sunny is、uh, what are you about five two? No, well I was. I'm about five now. A little lower, five five feet high. She's a small woman with a beautiful big smile and a wonderful personality.、Um, and she dedicates a lot of herself to the work we do, which is to help wrongly convicted people after they're released from prison. Two thousand and twelve, Sonny and Peter established the Sonny Center. Here, they help wrongfully convicted people after they've been exonerated and released from prison. This is a personal mission. In nineteen eighty, Peter was wrongfully convicted of killing a policeman in Ireland. He was sentenced to death by hanging. One day, very early into his sentence. Peter was sitting alone in his cell. He heard several prison guards talking outside, and they were talking about him. And on one occasion, I heard three of them discussing what role they would have to play in my execution, which would have been by hanging. And、uh, they had been told that two jailers would have to participate in the process. And they discussed that what they would do have to do is that when when my body would go down through the gallows, there would be two jailers underneath, and each one would have to pull one of my legs. To make sure my neck was broken, and this discussion went on in my presence as if I didn't exist, and、uh, was、uh, angered me very much because it's, you know, the death penalty is a very inhumane process. It even affects the jailers. As a result of that, I, I realised that it was an actuality. I was definitely facing the possibility of, of death, and to my surprise, I discovered that I wasn't afraid to die. But that I was afraid that I might not die with dignity, and、uh, I determined that I would not let them take my dignity away. After that experience, Peter vowed to fight. He began to study his case to try and prove his innocence. But the weight of his sentence and the behaviour of the guards loomed over him. He grew angrier and angrier, to the point where he couldn't even concentrate on his case. And so I knew I had to relax, and I got a friend to leave me in a little book on yoga, which I knew nothing about.、Mm -hmm. And so in the cell on my own, holding this book and looking at these strange contortions that people get into when they're doing yoga, I began to teach myself how to do yoga, and I began to teach myself how to practice to meditate. See, while I was physically imprisoned, they couldn't imprison my mind or my heart or my spirit. So it was in those realms of myself I decided I would live. In 1995, after 15 years in prison, Peter was released. He wouldn't meet Sonny until 1998, when their paths crossed after an uncanny series of coincidences. We had a cupid. We had an actual cupid in our life, and that was Steve Earle, the Galway Girl Man. Steve Earle is an American musician. 
You might know his songs Copperhead Road or Galway Girl. Steve wrote Galway Girl when he lived in Galway, on the west coast of Ireland. That's how he became friends with Peter. Steve is also an activist, and he's been campaigning against the death penalty in the United States for years. That's how he became friends with Sonny. Because each of us individually had become friends with him without knowing each other. I mean, first of all, how does that happen anyway? But for my side of it, I was marching against the death penalty with a number of organizations in America. And we found ourselves in Texas. Sonny was giving a speech in a little church. Afterwards, she got talking to some people from Ireland who worked for Amnesty International. They were so moved by her story that they asked her if she'd be willing to come to Ireland to speak at an Amnesty International event. And I was over the moon about that because at that time, gosh, I hadn't been really anywhere, you know. The next day, Sonny was giving another anti-death penalty talk when she bumped into her old friend, Steve Earle. So I told him, I was like, Steve, I've been invited to Ireland. And he said, when you go to Ireland, you got to meet Peter Pringle. And I was like, okay, Peter Pringle, okay. Now, he didn't tell me anything about Peter. So I just knew this name, Peter Pringle, okay. A few months later, Sonny comes to Ireland and she meets up with the people from Amnesty International. Somebody there asked me, did you know Peter Pringle? I was like, no, but I guess you better give me his number because everybody seems to think I should know Peter Pringle. So they did, and, and I called him. And I uh, invited him to come to my talk. And uh, he said, uh, well, what's it about? And I said, it's about the death penalty. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm interested in that. So I went along to hear her and I brought two friends. And it was in a room over the King's Head in Galway, pub in Galway. We went into a room, which was empty. And then the door opened on the far side of the room and this little lady walked in. And this big, tall man with white hair and a white beard came up to me and he said, You must be Sonny Jacobs. And she looked up at me with a big smile and she said, You must be Peter Pringle. <laughs> and, and that's, that's actually how we met. At this point, Sonny still didn't know why Peter was so interested in her talk. And Peter didn't know what Sonny would be talking about. He knew that she would be speaking about the death penalty, but he didn't know about Sonny's story. He didn't know that 15 years earlier, when he was sitting in a prison cell in Ireland, listening to the prison guards, trying to practice yoga, he didn't know that at that same time, on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, that Sonny was also sitting in a prison cell for a crime that she didn't commit. I didn't even have a table or a chair. There was a metal shelf with a thin mattress that was my bed. There was a sink and toilet combination, my pajamas, my little rubber flip-flop shoes, a washcloth, a towel, and a piece of lye soap that was made in a different prison, my toothbrush. That was all. Just like Peter, Sonny was wrongfully convicted of killing a policeman. She was also sentenced to death. And remarkably, she also got through it using yoga and meditation. You don't need anything 
but your breath, nothing else but your breath and the choice that you want to, you want to develop your spiritual self. That's really it. So um, yoga and meditation and prayer became my trinity. In those ways, I was able to open up a world of freedom that I actually had never known before and that no one could take away from me. Fast forward to 1995, and Sonny is in Galway, Ireland, delivering her talk about her time in prison. Peter is sitting in the audience, and from the stage, Sonny can see the effect that her words are having on him. Every time I looked over at this big, strong man, he was crying. He was actually crying. I thought, oh my God, I'm I'm really pressing buttons on this guy. I I I felt responsible and I, I knew I needed to speak to him afterward. And I actually even toned down my talk because I could see how it was affecting this guy. And afterwards, I knew I wanted to speak to her. So I said to her, I'd like to talk to you. And she said that she would like to talk to me too, but that she only had an hour. I said, an hour? I said, what's your hurry? Where are you going? Sonny had to travel to Cork for another talk the next day. Cork is about a four hour drive. So Peter offered to drive her. I drove her away down through Clare and showed her all the various sites. All this time, Peter knew Sonny's story, but she didn't know his story. So when they stopped for lunch, she asked him. She turned to me and she said, what's your interest in all this? Because I hadn't said anything about my own story. So I told her, I told her I'd been wrongly convicted and sentenced to that too. And she said, So Sonny listened to Peter tell the story of his ordeal. And all of a sudden, everything clicked. This was the reason why everyone kept saying that she should meet Peter. This is why Peter had been so upset by her talk. It all made sense. When Peter finished telling his story, they looked at each other. Sonny put down her sandwich and asked, how did you get through it? And he said, yoga and meditation. That's when, boing, the bells went off in my head because like I've met a number of wrongly convicted men before and none of them told me that they got through by doing yoga and meditation, which was what I did. Sonny and Peter continued their car journey onto Cork. They were both sharing their stories fully at this stage. And sometimes we'd be driving along crying, weeping, and other times we'd be laughing our heads off. But the next day, Peter had to go home. And uh, I, um, I, I asked him to let me know you got home okay. Because again, it was hard to break the connection. You know, it's like, this is an amazing connection. And, oh, he said, I don't want you to think that I don't find you attractive, but I'm in a relationship and I tried to be an honorable man. And that interested me because by that time in my life, I had no time for bullshit. <laughs> I just didn't. So I thought, ah, an honorable man, this interests me. Shortly after Sonny went home to America, Peter decided that not enough people had heard her speak. 
So he organised a series of talks in Galway, Dublin and Belfast. And to attract a bigger audience, their old friend Steve Earle agreed to play a few songs. It worked. All of the talks and concerts sold out. And this is when Sonny and Peter were finally able to take their relationship to the next level. When Belfast and Dublin came up, I booked hotels and I, I had uh, <laughs> I had three rooms booked, one for Steve, one for Sonny and one for me. But when, once we got to the first hotel, I only needed two rooms <laughs> because Sonny came and stayed with me and that's when we became intimate. Sonny and Peter began a long-distance relationship. They went back and forth across the Atlantic for a couple of years. Every time Sonny visited Ireland, Peter would organise talks and yoga workshops. When 9-11 happened, Sonny was teaching yoga in a prison in Ireland. Afterwards, she went back to the hotel to meet Peter, and the lobby was full of tourists watching the tragedy unfold in New York. She was due to fly out the next day, but she couldn't because all flights into the United States were cancelled. And so she had to spend an extra week with me, which I loved. In that week, we discussed whether we should try to live together or not. Because, you see, neither of us knew whether we could actually live with somebody, having been alone for so long. And um, we decided we'd give it a go and that we would do so in the west coast of Ireland. And that's what happened. And so in December of that year, she... Uh, sold what she could sell and gave away what she couldn't and gave up her apartment and so we've been together since. After, a, I don't know, after some time uh, we decided that we would marry our, each other. On the morning of the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, they got up early and exchanged cladder rings. A cladder ring is a traditional Irish ring in which a heart wearing a crown is held by two hands. The heart represents love, the crown stands for loyalty, and the two clasped hands symbolise friendship. That night, and we picked the shortest day of the year because we were felt we were too old to wait very long. <laughs> we didn't want a long engagement. <laughs> so, so we had a, a, a less than a day's engagement. Yeah, we got engaged that morning. And got married And then that evening. that evening, before the sun went down, we went to the... Uh, we went to the shore with our two dogs and God as our witnesses, which we felt was all we needed to make it official. Um, we read each other the Apache wedding blessing and, and we married ourselves. It was really nice. last question was going to be uh, do you guys have a song that's your song oh yes we do it's um you know from uh from uh that movie peter a kiss is just a kiss oh yeah a sigh from, from is just a sigh as time goes by as time goes by as time goes by so just remember this a kiss is just a kiss a sigh is put aside the fundamental things apply as times go by. <laughs> love songs and moonshine and love songs. Never out of date. Heart filled with Glad passion 
energy that's great. Woman needs man, and man must have his mate. There's no one can this my doctor. Excuse me. <laughs> so just remember this. <laughs> anyway, that's that's our song. That story was produced by Connor Sweetman. Daniel Simo was the supervising producer. My last selection for you this week is a poem by my friend Longal Wakina. Longal is an Indigenous Papua New Guinean writer and organiser, and in this poem he tells the story of his people. Reflecting on times of peace, colonial violence, and looking forward to a revolutionary future. When I lived, life was good. The seas were gentle and the fish were plenty. The air was fresh and the soil was soft. The sun used to kiss me on my face and the moon would sing me to sleep. I watched my mother make magic in our garden. Her hands would enter the soil bare, disappearing beneath the surface only to reemerge with food. As I aged, I learned how to grow food, but I saw magic in her nevertheless. My father would leave our home in the mornings and find his in the waves. He made his canoe as he made his children. Strong, lean, and ready for the ocean. And like his canoe, he made me with patience and love. My daughter was a strong woman. When she lived, life was different. Her gardens gave her the food I could no longer provide from the grave, and soon enough she had little hands to show her magic to. But soon strangers came and called her magic witchcraft. She was made to cover her body with another woman's clothing as if it was something to be ashamed of. She was punished for loving our gods and was forced to love theirs. They made her pray on her knees as if she was a slave. I suppose she was. Her daughter was a different woman. When she lived, life had changed. Her hands were too soft to create magic, and she ate food someone else had harvested. The air was different, and the fish were rarer. She was unlike her father's canoe, frail, soft, and afraid of the ocean. Her mother never loved her god, but she did. She called our ways witchcraft and called her brothers savages. She prayed to a man she had never seen before until all but her skin had turned into the foreign women she dressed like. Her son was a white man with a black face. When he lived, life had changed still. He was arrogant, greedy, and violent. He grew to hate his color as his mother had done before him and took pride in the way his tongue shaped the foreign words spoken by the invaders. He thought it made him wiser. 
He beat his wife as he had seen his pastors do. Women were no longer his equal. He thought he was better than his sisters because the white man wouldn't let them into his school. The white man built his school on the graves of my brothers. His daughter had never seen magic. When she lived, life was new. She traveled on roads instead of waves and slept on foam instead of mats. She could only sometimes remember the way the sand felt beneath her toes. Her father refused to educate her, so when she tired of her husband's violence, she was alone in a city her people did not build. So she created her own magic. She sold lollies under the sun to feed her baby and sold love under the moon to feed herself. When she returned to the sand she once knew, it was submerged in water. Fishes now lived in the home she had left behind. Her daughter was a chief without a throne. When she lived, the life was newer still. She was the first woman in her family to go to school and soon she was the first in her family to get a degree. Soon enough, she was the first of her village to cross the ocean to learn about healing. When she returned, she was history with feet. She loved the white man's God and spoke the white man's tongue, but she also taught the white man medicine. She went back to the village to heal her people often, refusing to be paid in the white man's money. Some of their children couldn't breathe. Her son owns the voice you hear now. As he lives, life is what he makes it. He knows not of his first language nor of his first gods, but he knows of me, and he whispers me back to life sometimes. He rejects the white man's god and refuses to be defined by their language. He loves the color we both share on the surface of our skin. He is as he is, and he will never apologize. He has never sailed a canoe, but he is very much like my father's. Strong, lean, and ready for the ocean. He will heal the seas the white man has infected, and he will bring life back into the oceans they have killed. He is just as much of me as I am of him. And one day, he will say that as he lived, life was good. That poem was written and performed by Longall Wakina, with sound design by me, Danny Stewart. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with Sin and 3 R on Murundjeri, Woiwurrung and Brunarong lands and 8 C on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All The Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. 
and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Timothy Nguyen and Madhura Prakash is our trainee. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. Make sure you tune in next week to hear our new host, Madhura Prakash, take the reins. Mads is an incredibly creative and talented storyteller. I've loved watching them grow as our trainee over the past year, and I'm so excited to hear where they take the show. It's been an absolute joy, a pleasure, and a privilege to share our contributors' stories with you each week. For the last time, I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening. Hey, Danny. Hey, Danny. Hey, Danny. Danny. Hey, Danny. So you've been with All The Best for, gosh, how many years now? What would All The Best have been without you? You have been such a stalwart of All The Best. Yeah, you've held the show in such good stead over your years. It was so great to work with you, even through some of All The Best's toughest times. You have been such an integral part of the show. And it truly wouldn't be where it is today without your contribution. As a community coordinator, as a host, as a contributor, as a supervising producer and production manager, you've done so much and put so much energy into the show. Guiding us through some of the most touching, insightful and hilarious stories. You're a radio and podcast star with a keen ear for good stories and a passion that's seen the show through so many different iterations. So knowledgeable, talented and hardworking. You combined kindness and sensitivity with uncompromising values and a critical lens. And I know that so many of us have have benefited from that. It was such a pleasure to work alongside you and learn from you. All the Best has been so lucky to have you as production manager, host, contributor. We're going to miss the Sunday mornings with you. You've lifted us up with your enthusiasm and passion. I really looked forward to our weekly meetings. You're a natural storyteller and you always made me laugh. I hope that when you look back on this time in your life and and reflect that you feel really proud of the work that you've done. You're absolutely amazing and I am very glad I can call you a friend. Uh, You've done a great job with the show. No doubt you'll continue to do amazing things. I can't wait to go wherever your next audio story takes me. I can't wait to see the amazing things that you do in the audio world and in the rest of the world too. Can't wait to see what's next for you. I'm sure you'll greet me with that blazing smile of yours if we're lucky to cross paths again in the future. Thanks so much for everything you've done for this show. Sending so much love and best wishes on your way. I'm hoping there'll be like a little montage at the end here of people saying all the best. I'm going to wish you all the best. Bye, Danny. Bye. Take care, Danny. All the love. I hope I'm not the only one who says it because then it'd be really awkward. (laughs) 